morning. Um, I want to start off this morning with a question. Uh, who here, oh, it's good, it's working. Uh, who here has been reading Leviticus this week? Just by a show of hands. Who here has read Leviticus cover to cover? Okay, so I can't just tell you whatever I want to think about the book and you have no idea. That's good. Uh, okay, so that changes plans. I'm just kidding. Um, and so we're going to be talking today essentially Leviticus cover to cover and I'm going to try to give you a summary. The Israelites are coming out of, a, uh, of an important time uh, through the Exodus and, and they're prayerfully coming out of uh, out of Pharaoh's grasp, and so let us join this morning in prayer. Lord, in all of your goodness, in all of your mercy, your faithfulness, your justice and holiness, may we come before you this morning attentive to hear what you want to teach us, attentive to the way in which you are guiding our lives today which you are guiding those who we will speak into this week, God. I just pray that we will come to your word with a new understanding, with open ears, and that those who hear what we have to share by your power will be attentive to listen. In your name we pray. Amen. So the Israelites are coming out out of Egypt. And you, everyone knows the story of Exodus, at least the first half, we really, really pay attention to. We, we love hearing about, you know, Pharaoh and his, his great army and how um, they come crashing down to a mighty fall in the, in the sea. And, and now the people are over at Mount Sinai and God comes down and he says, let us make a relationship, let us fellowship together. And the people are afraid of the Lord. The people actually are so afraid that it comes to the point that Moses has to go up to Mount Sinai and talk with the Lord on his own. And we've heard, you know, the Ten Commandments. That's a pretty basic um, standard. But then there's also these 52 other laws that we get in Leviticus. And these laws are for making the people holy and able to make sure that the people can be in fellowship with the Lord Because at the very beginning of Leviticus, if you have your Bibles with me, uh, turn there with me, and Leviticus chapter 1, verse 1, doesn't seem like much, but it is very, very important, this one word. The Lord summoned Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting, saying, and then he goes on to say, but he spoke to him from the tent. See, there's this important part in Exodus that explains that, that the Lord wasn't able to meet with Moses because Moses was still, even being a prophet, doing what the Lord had commanded, he wasn't able to meet in the Holy of Holies in this tent that they had made. They built this tent exactly how God told them they should build it. And the Lord had to speak to him from the tent, not in the tent. If you flip with me to Numbers, chapter 1, verse 1, you'll notice a change in the language. 
And the Lord spoke to Moses in the tent. So we get to the end of Leviticus and we actually see that the whole purpose of Leviticus is to try to make the people in relationship with God. And God actually comes down to them from Mount Sinai to live amongst the people in the Holy of Holies so that they can have fellowship together. And we see at the very end of Leviticus, that Numbers 1, that it actually worked. That what the Lord had intended for them to do throughout Leviticus, Moses was able to go into the tent and hear from the Lord. And so it's this, it's this beautiful, beautiful, long and meticulous book of laws. But there is this beautiful poetry to it. If anyone, uh, does anyone know what an inclusio is? Is, is that a word that's kind of foreign? Or Inclusio is this uh, Hebrew word in which uh, the, lots of the psalms have it. And so you'll have something at the very beginning, and it'll be repeated at the very end. And then you'll have something just after that, and something just before the very end. And they'll keep on lining up, lining up, until you get to the very middle of the psalm. And there's this important part that the whole psalm is about. Lots of psalms do this. And Leviticus is actually one large inclusio. It's beautifully written. The very beginning, the first few chapters and the last few chapters are all about the, uh, the, these rituals and these sacrifices and the importance of them. And then you move a little bit into the book, almost like brackets, and you see that it's all about the priests, and then it ends with the priests. And then you come in a little closer, and it talks about this unclean and clean people, and then it ends very much in the middle with this unclean and clean people. And then in the very, very middle, we get to the very, very middle, we get to chapters 16 and 17, which are these important, important parts of the book that actually foreshadow far beyond what the people knew they could. Now, Aaron is one of the one of the members of, of the tribe of Israel, and he is Moses' older brother. And as we know from ancient society, that you know, the, older, the older brothers, they were the ones that got something. The, the oldest, the eldest in the family, they were the ones that were to take the inheritance. We look at so many different family stories and how it changes the dynamics when the younger one gets it uh, throughout the Old Testament. And, and Aaron isn't an exception in this sense. Moses, I'm sure Aaron would have had mixed feelings about in some ways because Moses was the one that got to live in Pharaoh's palace. Moses was the one that traveled away and Moses was the one that came back and led his people out of Egypt and Aaron got to speak on his behalf. But so often we think of all the plagues, we think of all the times in Egypt It's attributed to Moses. But now, God has brought his people out of Egypt, and he has appointed Aaron as the priest, as the head priest. And as we read throughout the rest of the Old Testament, and even into the New Testament, from the priesthood of Aaron. But what kind of man was Aaron? It's very, very interesting. We don't get a whole lot of explanation other than he's willing to do what God has told him to do. But what kind of father is he? Well, Moses is given these detailed instructions on how to ordain Aaron and his 
he has four children. The two eldest become priests at the very start of Leviticus, in Leviticus 6 and 7. And they talk about these, you know, cutting, cutting a bowl and cutting uh, it in such a way and burning some of the unclean parts of the animal. And then these people, uh, they fellowship with the Lord after the sacrifice is made upon them. Aaron and his two sons, they come into the tent and they learn and study with God. But then right in the chapter right after, Aaron's sons make an unholy sacrifice, an unclean sacrifice, if you will, to the Lord, and the Lord kills them. And Aaron, instead of being grievous and and sorrowful, he more likely looks like he, he agrees with the Lord's justice. He agrees that his sons, in some ways, should have been killed. Not that he is an awful father in that way, but that he understands God's holiness. And he understands that Moses respected God in such a way. And he understands that this God, is, this Yahweh, is not a God that is, that is just going to unforgive uncleanliness. But that these things are very, very important. As we read in the, sermon, or in the um, scripture, scripture reading this morning, it talks about... Neither male nor female nor alien in your land shall eat the blood. It talks, it talks very, very specifically on how these things are supposed to happen. And the Lord actually lays down in immense detail many parts of their living. You see, the priests, Aaron, Aaron had to be, in some ways, the judge for people. He had to be the house inspector. He had to be the doctor. He had to check leprosy or different types of bodily fluids that, would, that were unnatural, uh, or he would check the births uh, of people. He would have to check, um, you know, with different laws and stuff. If someone had an argument, everyone went to the priest, and they had to go to the priest. Essentially, if you weren't a farmer, the priest took care of everything except for farming, which is ridiculous to think about, because that's a lot of responsibilities. So there's an immense immense focus that Aaron has on this holy Yahweh and this holy calling that he's been given. But often we come, you know, to parts of God so holy. We sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. We hear in the scriptures, the angels, they come down, they come and they sing, holy, holy, holy. Emmanuel is coming. Holy, 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 the Lord your God is with you. Holy, 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 the Lord Almighty. And for this morning, let us, let us think of holiness hopefully in another way. Holiness can be, let's say, like the sun. And in the sense that, let's say this is the sun, if if the closer I get to it, the hotter and hotter I, I burn up. And if I get so close... There's nothing left of me. But the farther, farther away from it I am, the less affected I am. And for the Israelites, this unclean and cleanness, maybe don't think of it like sin, but think of it as as how close they can get to the holiness of God. Yes, there there is punishment for this sin. There is punishment for, there's sin offerings, there's guilt offerings, there's There's offerings for when people don't even know that they've sinned. 
But then there's this uncleanliness talk, and the people were very, very, it was very, very important for them to know what stage they were in, whether they were clean or unclean. You see, if they touched something of, that was dead, if they ate something that was dead, if they touched uh, a, a certain type of animal, or if they ate a certain type of animal, they were unclean. Now these aren't, you know, these aren't the same as lying, these aren't the same as murdering. This is merely touching. For women and men, at certain times in their life, there's certain bodily fluids that, that the Lord viewed as unclean. If they were used in a dishonorable way, or if it was after birth, you're viewed as unclean. So it's, it's inevitable that you would be unclean. But the Lord offered a way for in their uncleanness to still meet with him in the tent of meeting. He still made a way for those, even for the priests that would be unclean to meet in the tent of meeting. And so often, yes, it is important to notice that in the language of the text that it is when they touch or come into contact with that certain thing. Now, going back to Aaron and his sons, Aaron had to make a sacrifice. He had to cut a bull down the center, and he had to cut out the liver, and he had to make amends for his son's sacrifice. This is in Leviticus 16, towards the, the end of it, if you, or towards the very, the very middle, um, if you want to follow along. And he had to come into the tent of meeting. After making the bull sacrifice for his son's he then had to make a goat sacrifice as well. He took two goats, and they're very symbolic, but this morning I want to focus on the first goat. This first goat he took, and he cut, and the blood splattered everywhere. And he had to take this blood, this holy, holy blood, and he had to sprinkle it onto the mercy seat, which was the cover of the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant. So there's two cherubim. And he had to sprinkle it seven times. And in order that God was not going to kill him and him being still unholy, Aaron laid stones and incense and coals before this mercy seat, as it was called, so that he was protected from God's holiness. That he could still be in the presence of God, but but like Moses, Moses was never allowed to see God, for God passed by him when he was on the mountain. And here, Aaron, every time they made this sacrifice, this important sacrifice, they had to make smoke that came up in front of the altar so that they would not be killed. And the blood was over the mercy seat. 
Then he would come into the next room, into the more common room that wasn't the Holy of Holies, and there was this, this table that had four horns on it, and he had to sprinkle blood seven times. I'm going to sprinkle it once just so we don't stay here forever. <clears throat> seven times on these horns. Now this blood was holy. And the priests were not allowed to have any of this blood on them. And so they had to leave all the blood. They were not allowed to have an ounce of it on them once they left the tent. And they would take their garments. In this case, they were not blue as they would traditionally be. They were white. And they'd leave them in the tent. And they would have to go bathe. For nothing that is the Lord's, the blood God says is his. This blood shed before the altar in this sacred, sacred sacrifice that happened once a year, what we would view as September or October time, depending on how the year fell. This blood would cover all the sins of Israel. Sacrifice is called the Day of Atonement. Throughout scripture, there are so many times that people see this uncleanliness and cleanliness moment. It seems like God is such a God of justice and there is lack of mercy. And so this language from Exodus that we get, this Exodus 34, verses 6 to 7, it says, I am a God in mercy and I want fellowship. I am a God in that is faithful and I am a God of justice and I am a God that has to punish in the ways that I need to punish. But he offered a way for his people back then once a year, every year, that all the sins would be covered. The second goat, all the sins would be laid on and it, the goat was called a zazzle. Um, and the goat would be led out into the wilderness and take the sins with him, calling, calling a scapegoat. And that's where we get the word. But this goat that was sacrificed for us on the altar, his life is in the blood. And no one gives or should take life but the Lord in their time and in their age. The Lord is the only one who gave them life, and so the blood is his. Now these people, 
of this time, Aaron and his priests, Moses being told this by God, would have never known the implications. You see, Moses after Leviticus isn't the mediator between God anymore. Aaron is. Aaron was ordained, and now in the very, be- in the very middle, in chapters 16 and 17, Aaron is actually given over to the one speaking with God. And Moses doesn't speak with God as much anymore. But Aaron is the one that mediates for the people. Aaron didn't know the implications of this. Moses didn't know the implications of this sacrifice as we do today. If you flip with me to Isaiah chapter 6, starting at verse 1. It says, 600 years later, after this day of atonement has been practiced 600 times in Israel's history. Isaiah 6, verse 1, we get this beautiful vision that Isaiah has. He says, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, high and lofty, and with the helm of his robe it filled the temple. Sephirins were in the attendance above him. Each had six wings, two covering their face, two covering their feet, and two they flew. And the one called to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. The pivots on the threshold shook at the voice of those who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and live among people of unclean lips. Yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the Sephirins flew to me, holding a live coal that had been taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. The Sephirin touched my mouth with it and says, Now that it has touched your lips, your guilt has departed from you. Your sin is blotted out. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. This crazy, crazy vision that the Lord has given to Isaiah of these angelic beings touching him, touching him in his uncleanness, touching his lips, and instead of burning him, It makes him clean. This is a totally revolutionary thought for the Israelites because for them, as we said, touching something that was unclean makes them unclean. That uncleanness transfers to them. There was never a point that when they would touch something that was clean, that they would become clean. Isaiah sees in this vision a time when a heavenly being a heavenly someone would come and would touch the lips of those who were unclean and make them clean. I hope that you know that I'm referring to Jesus in this, in this regard. Jesus comes and he touches all these people that makes the Pharisees furious. All these people that they know they are unclean. Some examples 
where obviously the woman who was bleeding had a chronic bleeding uh, disorder for many years. She touched him. Jesus felt his power, his cleanliness come out of him into her. Jesus touches the crippled man, which was viewed as unclean. Anyone that was disabled is viewed as unclean. Anyone who is leprous, that has a leprous disease, is unclean. Jesus heals the lepers. Jesus touches those who are dead. The little girl in the house. Jesus touches those who are deaf, those who can't see. He eats with tax collectors and sinners. People that would have been okay with being unclean. He comes alongside them, touches them, and makes them clean. And then, if that weren't enough, if all the miracles and all of his goodness wasn't enough, he comes before the altar, before the cross, and he gives his life, he gives his blood sheds it upon the altar. And the Israelites keep on crying, let his blood be upon us. Let his responsibilities be upon our heads and our children and our children's children for the third and the fourth generation. Let his sins be upon us. But Jesus says, no, no, let your sins be upon me. His blood is shed for us as it was in the Day of Atonement. And he is the ultimate atonement. For he comes and not only dies for us, but he is risen. Unlike these all these other sacrifices for hundreds of years that have been given, this sacrifice not only is not obviously a goat, but this one is also coming back to life. This one doesn't just sit on the altar and has his blood poured out and then is burned up. Jesus comes and he is risen. He rises from the grave for our sins and he is the ultimate sacrifice for he does not stay dead in the tomb but he is alive and well. And that is partly where I want to leave you this morning. Whether this is a moment of thankfulness for what Jesus has done, whether this is a moment of reflection on our own lives of where we are at. But I hope in a lot of ways this is an encouraging and thankful moment for us to go and share these important works that Jesus has done for us, for us to go and share the implications of this day of atonement that Jesus has fulfilled in a more satisfying way than what the Israelites could have ever known. See, Yahweh throughout all of the Old Testament wants to have fellowship and relationship with the people. And he, even in what we view as a barbaric, sacrificial way, this ritual way, all the other religions in the world, this, was, this would have been viewed as normal. But the Israelites, even in their barbaric ways, were viewed and set apart, were viewed as different from everyone else. 
just as us Christians now, in quite a few ways, are viewed as living different lives than those around us. Because of what the Lord has told us, and because of the fellowship the Lord wants to have with us, may we be encouraged and strengthened in this coming week in who we meet and who we talk to and in the family members and in our own devotions. May you be encouraged and grateful for what the Lord has given us. Let us pray. Holy, holy, holy Lord, we come before you this morning with grateful hearts. We come before you this morning with an attitude that is just blown away before your wondrous works, before sending your son, God. And to these people that are not our people, we are not Israelites, we are not Jews living in a synagogue. But God, you have not only reached us, or you've not only reached them as a Jewish people, but you have extended your fellowship, you've extended your relationship to us. Again, a sinful unclean people. But you have not only made us unclean, but you have forgiven us our sins by paying the ultimate sacrifice. Jesus, we thank you for your time here on this earth teaching us on how to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. May we be ever so grateful for the opportunities that arise in our day-to-day lives where we can share your goodness, your mercy, and be grateful for what you have done for us. In your name we pray, amen.